Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, who will just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University of Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Tiffany Esquire, lawyer, Uh author, people. Uh, consultant, HBCU graduate, uh, all of those things and more. And I wanted to have her on the show to talk about uh, her work as an author, the work that she's doing, and for you to get some gems that'll help you uh, take yourself to the next level. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Tiffany? Hi, again, thank you so much, Dr. Will, for having me on your platform. I am Tiffany Hill. I'm an attorney originally from Louisiana, which is, that's how my Southern University um, undergraduate experience came about. I love Louisiana. I'm currently based in Edmond, Oklahoma. And as you mentioned, I'm an attorney by trade, and then I have a lot of fun things that I do on the side. I'm, I do filmmaking, um, I'm an author, I'm a mom to three boys, which is a fun job in and of itself. And, you know, just a lot of things that um, my law career has also afforded me the opportunity to do. So again, I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk to everyone and share in this podcast today about living your best authentic life. That's all right. I'm in Mississippi. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, been to Louisiana, uh, particularly NOLA. That is my jam. Uh, (laughs) That's my jam. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'd be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself being in law and in entrepreneurship? You know, I actually knew that I would be in law. So um, it's funny because when people ask me that, I say I didn't have a plan B, so I'm glad it worked out for me. But as a young kid, I always knew that I wanted to go to law school. Um, I always share the story. My grandfather, when I was like very young, like probably eight or nine years old, he would introduce me to people as his little attorney because I'd already told them that's what I plan to do. So um, the only thing that changed I, when I was younger, I thought I wanted to to do criminal law. And that was my plan. I was going to help people not be in jail, wrongfully convicted, and that didn't quite work out. So I'm actually I'm now doing transactional law. I do contracts. I do consumer law litigation. And I've found other creative ways to help people and, you know, give back as well. So that is how I got into law. You know, I knew very early on that it was something that I enjoyed. I loved arguing my points (laughs) and researching and writing and all of those skills that, you know, became helpful and important for law school as well. So it's definitely been an interesting journey. And like I said, there was no plan B. So I I love the, the legal career for anyone who is interested in it because it touches every aspect of what we do. And that was what intrigued me about it because from everyday things to, you know, buying a home or whatever you do, whatever you touch is implicated by the law. And so having that understanding of how the law works and being able to help others to understand that has been really beneficial um, to me. So that's how I got into the law field. And entrepreneurship, where did that, uh, that feeling, where did that passion come from? So entrepreneurship really came about due to personal issues. As we all um, know, we have to be very well at pivoting in life. And so um, I was working with a law firm and then during that time had really young children, um, went through a divorce at the time as well. So it was kind of the thing where I needed flexibility. I needed to be home and able to pick my kids up from school. I didn't live close to family. So, you know, I had to do the things like the carpool line and things like that, that we all juggle, you know, different responsibilities. And so I was just thinking that entrepreneurship would be a great way to control my schedule because where I was working at the time, I didn't have the flexibility to leave at three and come back and, you know, just alter my schedule 
as much as I would like to, as much as I needed to, to also be present in my children's life. So entrepreneurship gave me the opportunity to do that. And then also the opportunity to expand upon other interests that I wanted to do. Like I was interested in entertainment law and just a lot of other things that sometimes when you're committed to um, a particular firm or a particular track, you don't really have the time or the flexibility to engage in other passions or interests as well. So that's why it was appealing to me to start um, my firm, which is TH Legal Consulting, and change, I've changed even the type of law that is at that time I was doing employment law. And I did that for a little while. And then it was like, hmm, I like doing contracts. Like I really like writing and I like working with business owners and helping them make sure their interests are protected. And when they're ready to start up their business, you know, what things do they need to have in place? So I really enjoy things like that. And so I even pivoted in my law firm to do more of the things that I enjoyed more. Well, tell us about TH Authentic and the work that you're doing, and what was your process from starting out to where you are now? Absolutely. So TH Authentic is my um, LLC or my company that I created when I decided to write the book and then also do um, a film project. So I also do production, executive produced film projects as well. So that's kind of my entertainment arm. And one of the things that triggered that was my advocacy for domestic violence. Um, I went through a domestic violence situation and I began sharing my story and speaking to other women about how they can to navigate through that and the difficulties and the challenges of it, um, no matter what position you're in. So a lot of times due to people's socioeconomic status or you know, their race or even their gender, we have to navigate that in different ways and the stereotypes are there. And so I just began sharing my story about my experience and how I overcame that. And so that led to the book. Um, the Last Time Film, which is also a domestic violence awareness film project. It stars um, the late Tommy Ford. It was actually one of the last projects he was in before his untimely passing. And I use TH Authentic as I share an authentic way to reach people, an authentic way to have conversations about those issues that may be uncomfortable for us. And so, as I mentioned earlier, those projects that before entrepreneurship, I didn't have the time to focus on. That's what TH Authentic is for me. You know, I have my law practice, but then I also have the opportunity to do things like that, that are awareness and, you know, just engaging people in different ways. So you are the author of a series and one of them you just you mentioned the authentic, we authentic me. And you also have this workbook. Uh, why share such a personal, intimate journey of yourself? You know, we know that there are millions of, of women and men who experience uh, domestic abuse, but to actually share that with the world, that's, that's different. What, what made you decide to do that? I think that many people who, no matter what experience you go through, traumatic experiences, we choose to deal with it in different ways. And so sharing that story for me was also a part of my healing process. And I feel that when you put, when you give a voice to what you've gone through, you also take away some of the power that the abuser has put over you, you know? So for me, it was more of, I started journaling and through therapy and journaling, that was how I was able to heal. And then once I went back and looked at those notes, you know, I made that into a book. And then also, so that's why the part two is the journal part of it, because that was really um, a personal way for me to get out those emotions and, you know, talk to my therapist and counselor about what I was feeling and how I was um, going through that process, you know, and exactly how do you go from being in an abusive um, situation and then healing from that? 
you know, and not feeling shameful or all the different things that you feel when you go through something like that. So that's what that process did for me. And then sharing my story was a way to also connect with others because sometimes when you go through things like that, whether it's domestic violence, where whether it's sexual assault, whatever it is, sometimes you do feel alone and you do feel like it's only you or this could, why does this happen to me? And unfortunately, there are many other people who've, who have experienced domestic abuse. So that is a very unfortunate statistic, but there was, there's also healing even in that, even in those shared experiences, and even in having someone that can relate to you. Because as much as I had close friends and family, they couldn't really understand or relate. They could empathize with me, but they couldn't totally understand what I was going through. And how did you find your way to therapy? Because as you know, as of late with the pandemic, there's been a lot more, and you sit on Twitter or what have you, of Black people talking about mental health and self-care, but that's not a thing that we talk about normally in our families as Black folk is go get uh, some therapy. It's like, go get you some Jesus. Right. Uh, but no one says, or, you know, no one says, hey, I see that you're having a tough time. Maybe you need to go see a licensed therapist to help you go there. How did you actually, and, and knowing, and not knowing your, your your home background, but if you came from the environment that a lot of us Black people come from, where again, that's just not a normal part of the conversation. How did you find yourself in therapy to actually work your way through. And I, that's a great point, Dr. Will, that you brought up. And I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. It isn't something that we talk about. And sometimes people who go to therapy are ashamed for that. And so um, to your point about my background, I definitely came from um, a household with my parents where it was a typical Southern, you know, Baptist household where we Bible study Wednesday, some um, vacation Bible school Thursday, you know, the, the, like I said, typical Baptist, Southern Baptist church. And as we know, most of the time, the, the thought process is you pray your way through situations. And I do believe in praying my way through situations, but I also think there's uh, some execution or some action on our part that has to go along with that. And so for me, therapy was, I don't even think it was actually an option. Um, now if, that I look back at it, all I remember is the way I was feeling and the place that I was in, I'd never felt like that before. And again, I had at the time, now my children are older, but they were really young. And I was just looking at them like, I have to get past this, you know, I, and so I know now that I was very depressed, but you know, when you're in it, you're just like, I don't know why I feel like this. I don't know why all I want to do is sleep. And I don't feel like talking to my friend, you know, I'm shutting people out of my life. And, and so I really just felt like, it's life or death at this point, you know, like I have to do something or talk to someone about how I'm feeling and try to understand. And another thing I want to share is it took a few therapists for me to find someone to help. And so I think sometimes too, that's what turns us away from therapy. We go and we meet with someone and I did the same thing. And I totally did not connect with her at all, you know, and I tried it a few times and I was like, this isn't the things, you know, the tips, the background was different. You know, some people might feel that however you connect with someone, but for me, I felt that the therapist was not in touch with who I was. And so therefore couldn't help me or couldn't understand what I was going through. And so finding the right therapist really changed my life. And I share with her to this day how important and instrumental she was in changing my outlook and my mindset, because rather than having a pity party, she would always tell me no matter what you're going through, because again, I was in the height of a divorce that was not pretty. You know, I was navigating three little boys in a, a city that I didn't have family in. So it was just a lot of different factors trying to do entrepreneurship because the law practice thing wasn't working out. So it was just so much going on. 
And when I would go in and talk to her, she would say, you have five minutes to cry, whine, whatever you want to do, <laughs> whatever you want. If you want to throw a tantrum, you can do that. But after five minutes, we're going to start talking about what you want out of your life. What do you want your life to look like? I know right now it is a total mess. I get it. <laughs> you know, divorce isn't pretty. Um, starting over isn't pretty, but you have to start looking at what you want it to look like so that you can plan for that and you can prepare for that. And I journaled about that, you know, and I, I share with women now, the life that I live now, I pray for that. You know, I, I wrote what I wanted it to look like. I wrote what I wanted my business to look like and the time that I wanted to have to spend with my children. So we really have to be intentional about that, you know, so to anyone listening, we all know, you know, even with this past year with the pandemic, life is hard, things happen, but we just always have to stay grounded and be very intentional about what we want, you know, and what we want to manifest and pray for in our lives. And I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of times people can tell you what they don't want, what right. they don't like, but they can't tell you what they actually want. Absolutely. And that's important. And it it's funny because when you think about it, we'll say a lot of things we want, you know, people, everybody, they want to be rich or they want to have a husband. But then when you ask someone, what qualities do you want in that person or what, um, you know, like the, the details, the particulars of that, they can't even tell you. So it's like, if you're not clear on what you want out of your life, how do you think you're going to get it? Um, some of us are lucky, but nine times out of 10, it's probably not going to just fall in your lap. You know, you have to really be clear on what you want. And then also you attract what you give off, you know, and I realized that too. I realized when I changed my mindset from constantly talking about what I was going through and I had to leave some friends behind, which is hard because sometimes people want you to stay in that space. And they only want to talk to you about the, the negatives or share with you the gossip or, you know, what is going wrong in your life. And you have to really find those people or that group that will pour into you and you pour into them. And that was very important for me as well along my journey and continues to be, you know, important to me, my mentors, my support group. Um, we, I have a, a solid team, you know, we don't, we start our morning with positivity and inspiration. <laughs> we don't have time for negativity. So I think that mindset over everything, you know, that definitely changes, that changes the game for us. So when you, I mean, you're writing, you're, you're producing, you're a, uh, practicing attorney and you're running this business. Well, you, I want you to speak to, to this because there are, you know, my audience is for educators who want to use their classroom experiences, who want to use their education and skill sets to actually create an education-focused business. So I bring on educators who are doing the work as well as entrepreneurs like yourself, right, to talk about their journey and the thing that they're doing. And I see a lot of educators out there, whether at their school, they're creating instructional videos, lessons, graphics, and all these things. And then also for their websites, maybe not there, they're sharing these things, but I don't know if they understand the value in the intellectual property. So as an attorney, please speak to the importance of actually owning one's intellectual property. Yes, and so that is an important part of what my business helps um, entrepreneurs to do is protect your brand. Make sure, number one, that your entity is formed properly. What? How are you operating? Are you operating as an LLC? How? You know, do you have the right team of people around you to make sure that um, whatever your business structure is, like that's how you want to be taxed? You know, and what are the financial implications of that? But certainly owning your brand and your intellectual property in this age where social media and everything that your idea can be taken in a split second, you know, so how do you make sure 
that what you're doing is protected for generations to come. So I, the mentors and people that I work with, we talk a lot about what is your legacy? And you can't have a legacy if you don't own anything. You know, if you're working and you're putting in all this work, but you don't take the time to trademark it or get it copyrighted, someone can come along and just buy it or, t- or not even buy it. A lot of times they just take it without even, you know, giving you any rights to that. And so it's very important that we as business owners, definitely as African-Americans, I love the fact that now I'm seeing so many people talk about that because I feel like it's something that um, we hadn't even talked about a lot. So like you said, mental health, we're talking about that more in our community. We're talking about the importance of credit and financial um, literacy in our community. And we're also hearing more conversations about ownership and your brand and branding yourselves and how you protect that. So these are definitely important conversations to have. As an entrepreneur, I feel you should always have an attorney assisting you with that. And so a lot of times people will wait or they think they're waiting until they're a big company, you know, and they're like, well, I'm just a small business right now. I don't need those things. But you do. The importance of investing in that early on is you don't have the expenses of litigation later when you haven't done those things in the beginning stages to protect your business, to protect your IP, to make sure your business is formed correctly. So definitely reach out to someone and make sure that your structure, your IP is presented and done in a way that will stand up against anyone. I I sent out a cease and desist letter today for a client where someone, he sent me a screenshot and it's like, hey, someone's using this brand. We immediately sent out a cease and desist letter. And so that's the protection that you have when you've protected your brand. No one can just go take it and start using it. And if that happens, you have legal rights against them and you can be compensated for the harm that they do to your brand. So since you brought that up, how should someone vet an attorney and what should they be looking for? I love that question (laughs) because luckily there are a lot of attorneys. And so I always tell people when they meet with me, meet with other attorneys as well, because I know that not everyone is my client. And so people should feel comfortable, just as we talked about with therapists, the same thing with any professional that you're engaging with, make sure that you talk to different people. Um, The number one thing too is understand what their fee structure is like. If you feel that you've met with an attorney and they've talked to you about what they could do for you, but you don't really understand how you're going to be charged or what that bill is going to look like, that's To me, that's a red flag because we as professionals should be very transparent in how we're billing clients, what our communication process looks like, who's going to be handling your case. You know, will it be me as a lead attorney or will you be working with my paralegal or my law clerk? Like those are the the types of things. Just be clear on the billing, clear on the communication process. And then, of course, make sure that the attorney that you're reaching out to is knowledgeable in the area that you're seeking legal advice for. So I'll, I love, first of all, you're dropping so many gems today, thank you. But I also love that you are an HBCU graduate. Saw you on uh, Twitter and I was like, hey, love that. I myself, Tougaloo College. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I applied to Southern and Grambling. Dillard. As oh, well. wow. Okay. Yeah. Dillard was my choice. It was my choice, but they kept messing <laughs> up. They kept messing up my paperwork. And, and I was like, y'all, <laughs> look, school gonna be in a month from now. Y'all can't be keep right. doing this. Uh, so Tugalu called me up and it's like, yo, are you coming? Uh, I was like, well, y'all called. It was a great visit. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming. But Dillard was the school that I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to NOLA. We're doing this thing. All of that. Uh, how did your HBCU experience, because I had a great one and it changed my life. How did it prepare you for the bigger stages you now walk on? And what is the importance of HBCUs actually creating a pipeline for Black generational wealth? 
So to your point, I think HBCUs, no matter which one you go to, they're so unique. And I I love Southern, of course, but I even enjoy like attending functions at other HBCUs. Fun fact, most of my family attended Grambling, which you know, when it comes to Bayou Classic time, that's Southern's rival. (laughs) So we have a lot of fun, you know, within our family when it comes to that time between the schools. But I definitely, I, so I graduated from Southern University for undergrad, for my undergraduate studies, and then I attended Louisiana State University, LSU for law school. So I had the opportunity to see both sides of, you know, HBCU experience and then a predominantly white institution as well for my um, law school studies. And the thing that I love about the HBCU experience was just the family um, feeling and the the confidence. I say a lot, as much as I loved like the writing and research and all of those skills, I was very uncomfortable speaking publicly. And when I went to the HBCU, I feel like they nurtured what I was lacking in, in a way that didn't make me feel like I was, you know, standing out. Um, I had professors, professors that encouraged me to do things like the model United Nations Club, just things that would build upon that. And so I think the perspective and the, the, just the, the culture of an HBCU lends to confidence. And sometimes when I'm talking to people who didn't go to HBCUs, which is not, you know, no knock against anyone. I think wherever you choose to further your education is important and should be celebrated, but there is something, and there's even a piece of that experience that can't even be explained. You know, it's like, you have to experience it (laughs) to understand what, how significant it is. And so even with my children and just the state of the world, and um, we have to still acknowledge that there is racism in the world. And so I want them to have that experience so that they can be confident to operate in any space that they're in. And that's what I feel the HBCU experience does. It gives you that confidence to operate in any space. And I felt well prepared when I went to, you know, when I continued on at LSU, I was confident, you know, I was, I knew who I was and I was proud of that. And I was able to perform um, based on that foundation. And I do feel, again, that HBCUs are important for the pipeline and the talent and just the leadership that they're producing, even in the world. Right now, we have a vice president who's a product. I mean, that's just amazing. Um, And something that I don't think we should ever take for granted like that. That's our history, our heritage, and we should be proud of that. I know there, there are always discussions about the relevancy. Are they still relevant? And I, I will continue to support the fact that they are, they're necessary, relevant, and very instrumental in our success. No doubt, no doubt. And, I, and I'm, I want Black people just to start like, stop, you know, giving Nick Saban rings and go to an HBCU. You know, stop going to these places because I, I'm not saying that you, you can't get a quality of education. Of course you can. But again, the as you said, the environment is so different. And the people that you meet is so different. And the fact that, you know, when I got on campus and I'm looking around and and there are black people from the Caribbean, black people from the continent. I'm from the South, I'm meeting black people from New York and, you know, black people who from the hood hood and (laughs) black people who parents are doctors and lawyers and judges. And like all of us are just in this space, pulling together uh, and learning and pushing each other. And I was like, this is a, an incredible, incredible experience for me to go there and the people that, that I met there. And even just the funness of, you know, finals and looking up and you go like, and you're going like, oh, you seeing so-and-so uh, about to go take that final uh, with the little cap on the head in pajamas and you're like I know it's finals girl I know it's finals right. uh and because you know it's like okay it's eight in the morning I see you I see you and then but just that whole vibe of you know like this is us and, and we're hanging out we're kicking we're having a great time in the spades and all the other things 
it was just such a wonderful experience that I I hope to be able to go teach at one one day. I'm praying that I get a chance to go uh, work at an HBCU one day because it was just a life-altering experience. That's awesome. I hope that for you as well, because I can hear your passion for HBCUs. And that's one of the things that I picked up on. Everyone there seemed happy and committed to our success, you know, our growth and um, the development of the students. And you could feel that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I want to ask you this, because there's a lot of people who branders, career specialists, et cetera, you know, they'll say, yo, stick to one thing, right? And I and I get it, 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 it you know, if you're a law firm, um, you don't want to do everything under the sun, uh, or, you know, if you're this type of consultant, you may want to do this, but a lot of us are sort of multi-hyphenated, and I see that in you when I read about you and I see what you're doing, and you have so many interests. How do you know what risks you're willing to take and what is and something that you need to pursue? That's a great question. <laughs> I like that question. So I, I think for all of us, um, it becomes a matter of just what you said. What are your interests? What are your passions? And how much time are you willing to commit to that? So I personally believe the idea of doing one thing is very outdated in the, the space that or the age that we live in. I don't think we can even afford to really focus on one thing. Now, your career might granted be one thing all of your life, even though we, we're not even seeing that anymore as much. But even if that's the case, or you, a lot of people who, if they're, if they're just a doctor, they're also doing real estate investing or something on the side. And I just think with the, the nature of how things are going, our economy, we can't afford to just focus on one thing and we have to be able to pivot um, as the time or need arises. And so for me, it wasn't a matter of necessarily looking for another quote unquote job or another income source, it was a matter of these are things that I'm passionate about. And so I want to be able to, as we all do, I want to be able to work and make a living and provide for myself and my children. But I also want to do things that are passionate for me and educational for others and where I'm helping people and I'm sharing things and, you know, able to do other projects. So I, I won't limit myself to just one thing or one particular um, type of law or even with my my clients as I stated one of my clients are mainly business clients and so we do entity formation we do protecting your trademark but then if they have a question about something that's you know unrelated um, we might work on that for you know for a while you know just depending on how specialized if we need to pull in someone else but I think the 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 ability to be flexible, flexible, the ability to have that flexibility is one of the things that keeps me motivated. Like I enjoy that. So it might just depend on your personality. Is that something that, you know, inspires you and keeps you? But for me, I love that. I love a challenge. It's a challenge to figure out a new thing or, and it widens my knowledge base. You know, so now I'm able to talk to people about a lot of different things. Um, entertainment law, I don't practice that necessarily, but now I'm versed in it just by virtue of producing films and, you know, doing a, going through the publishing process. And that was my passion work that now has also given me a, another area of knowledge that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So I love the constant process of learning and evolving and finding new ways to stay engaged with what's going on around me. So before the pandemic, the world was already transitioning to a digital e economy and things were already moving in that direction. Once this thing hit, it just accelerated everything that was happening. And then we, again, we saw a lot of people whose jobs could either be 
replicated or done faster or easier or cheaper with technology, these people lost their jobs or jobs that required, again, you know, restaurants where, okay, if I had to go physically sit in there, a lot of them had a, a tough time. We saw delivery started to come in. I'm in, and I'm in Mississippi. And, you know, prior to this thing, you don't, you get pizza and Chinese delivered. All of a sudden, <laughs> DoorDash is here, Waiter is here, Instacart is here. And I'm like, what? I can get my groceries and all that stuff delivered. I don't have to go anywhere. That this is amazing. Right. When we're seeing how this mobile technology and e-commerce and everything has created new ways for people to form businesses, create multiple streams of income. Where are we seeing, or how do you see Black people being able to take advantage of the internet and these technologies in terms of creating businesses where they don't have to rely on the brick and mortar? I think it's an amazing opportunity for all of us to to piggyback on the question that you just asked me to figure out, is this something else that I want to do? And how can I do that using e-commerce? I, I think the pandemic taught us that, which I've always <laughs> felt, everything does not have to be an in-person meeting. And that has been a pro <laughs> for me as to the extent that now we can be on Zoom, not leave our home or office. And so what meeting could have taken depending on where you live, one meeting could be three hours of your day. If you're traveling there, traveling back, now we can we have more time and the ability to schedule and manage more things. There are so many platforms for doing like the e-courses or just anything. I, I see um, influencers right now and I have some clients who are influencers making money just off of posting videos, like things that we didn't even think about before. You know, it's like post a video, you're getting a certain amount of engagement because of what you're talking about. And now you're getting paid just from that, like something that you can do from your home with the phone. You know, it doesn't even require um, a camera crew. You know, it's something that you can do yourself. So just that in and of itself has opened up a lot of opportunities and definitely not discounting the fact that so many people have lost their jobs and have experienced, you know, their jobs being replaced or automated. But again, as we discussed about pivoting, we have to always think about, okay, what is a way to pivot? Like even right now, I'm thinking, what are some additional things that my business can take on that does not require me doing the work, you know, that can be automated. So we have to always think in that manner. And the online space is, and the different technologies that are available are providing a perfect, perfect opportunity for that. And one other thing, back to how we're protecting that, <laughs> we also want to make sure that we're protecting things, you know, when we're doing those online things. And one a major conversation right now is how do we protect our name, image, and likeness? How do you, if you're doing that with someone else, who has the right to make money off of it? Can Dr. Will air my my episode perfect example can he air this episode and get paid for it and who shares in the revenue you just you there's so many different things that you also have to think about in that space you know it's easier but there are also other legal things that you have to think about and put in place to protect yourself in the the e-commerce world also wow that's all right well, I don't get paid for these, but if I were, I would have someone <laughs> sign over a waiver. <laughs> Absolutely, you would, and you should. It's your show. That's why we're here, the Dr. Will Show. <laughs> I would do that like, hmm, okay. Uh, so with all of the successes that you have and have had, how do you give your yourself permission to fail and be okay with that and understand that it is just, this moment, but it is not the entirety of who you are and where you're going. Absolutely. We should all give ourselves that permission. And to go back to the, 
divorce and domestic violence experience, I felt like that was one of the lowest points of my life as far as dealing with depression and just not knowing what my next steps should be. And so I view that at that time as a failure. So to me, what's important in every experience that we go through is how do we change the perspective from it's not really a failure, it was a learning opportunity and an opportunity for you to shift, pivot and get it right moving forward. So it, rather than look at it as a failure, now I'm like, I st- no, I'm not happy. No one's happy that they have to go through things, but how can you t- learn from that experience? How did, how did that experience make you better? How can you use it to make others better? You know, one of the things that I think we all gain from is pouring into others. Like you have to get joy from sharing or, you know, your wisdom, your knowledge, the things you gain with someone, whether it's your children, whether it's in your career, your profession. And so even if you quote unquote fail, now you have an experience that you can share with someone else that can prevent them from going through what you've gone through. So it's, I think it's more of changing your mindset about failure. Um, no one is successful without failure at all. Like we, we all have some form of failure, whether it's um, publicized or not. And in our social media picture perfect world, it might appear that no one is failing, but they absolutely are. Um, but the ones who are successful just know that that's a learning opportunity and they continue to move forward. They don't stay stuck in that moment. So I want to throw this out there to you because on more than one occasion, you have brought up protecting yourself and protecting your assets during this this interview how does some when someone particularly when you're talking about a couple who may be entering into uh business ventures together or buying a home together and again i don't think anyone if you're a couple and you're going to do make this type of serious investment or leap i don't think it would ever cross your mind that this thing is going to be over, but it could. And then at the point, what happens, right? Because I forgot what it's called, but even when you America will buy a house, uh, and again, I don't forgot the the term for it, but normally what what would happen is the house would immediately, generally speaking, it's the two people uh, on the deed, the husband and wife would be the ones who would sort of say, we would share in the asset of this house. But you may say, after we get divorced, I want this house to go to my kids. But the way that deed is set up, that ex-husband right. is going to get that house and not your children. Uh, depending Again, depending on how you have that deed set up you know, legally. Uh, how should someone actually approach it? Because again, you're in love. Right. So you're not maybe necessarily thinking about, okay, let's be calm about this. Let's be focused. Right. Let's let's get this thing done the right way just to make sure that all sides are protected and can be uh, remunerated equitably. Right. How does someone approach that conversation so that they can do what needs to be done legally to protect themselves but also and I know you're not a therapist but also preserve (laughs) the relationship so that people don't go into this process with hurt feelings right so I think a lot of being an attorney is I kind of feel like a counselor some days (laughs) that might be maybe that's the next part of my uh, other duties (laughs) I might turn into a counselor But protecting yourself, one of the main things that I tell my clients when they're doing, whether it's business deals, whether it's, um, I don't do family law, so I don't necessarily get so much the marital questions, but when they're entering into any kind of contract, the first thing clients are thinking about, especially in a business venture, rightfully so, 
is what's the profit? How, how am I going to get paid? How are um, profits and losses going to be divided? Which is important. But the first thing I'm thinking about as their attorney is that termination clause. What happens if this doesn't work out? Because when we're entering into it, as you said, everybody's happy. Everybody's smiling. We're going to do this business together. We're going to do this project together. But what happens down the line when things aren't working out or things might be working great, but you decide you don't want to do that anymore. You want to shift to something different. What is in that agreement that talks about how you terminate, what happens upon termination, who's responsible for what, does the party buy you out? That is, to me, the key part of any contract. Any contract is how you terminate it. But most people don't look at it like that because they're looking at what they're, what they're like I said, what they're getting, what are they getting from the contract? And I'm always thinking ahead, which is the benefit of having an attorney is they're, they're there to to limit your liability and to think about those kind of things um, moving forward. So definitely what is, you can all, you can litigate anything. As we know, this is a very litigious society. You can litigate anything, but I will tell you, you're more likely to be successful when you've thought about those things in advance and documented them in some formal way. So contracts, I love them <laughs> because I love thinking about all of those things, you know, and, and making sure that the language is right for, for the, you know, the type of situation that that party is entering into. So before we go, how are you investing in yourself and how often do you check in with yourself to make sure that what you're doing is actually in alignment with your goals? Checking in and self-care is a priority to me, as it should be for all of us um, listening. And we've stated like all the things that we've each had to endure with this last year. And I don't even know how long we've been going through the pandemic. It seems like forever. <laughs> Honestly, I finally saw my parents um, a few months ago and I hadn't seen them for over a year. Like, so this has been a really difficult time for all of us. Um, but I do make sure that I do what's necessary for my self-care. And one of the things when you think about like failure and like I said, of what do I view as my lowest point? And sometimes people will sh share or tell you that, well, whatever you've gone through, you should get over it. And I think you, you know, you should, you shouldn't dwell in it. But for me, it's also been helpful to remember that as, uh, as I guess, like my barometer of, well, that's where you were and you don't ever want to go back there. So what's necessary to keep you from that dark place? So it doesn't mean you might go through domestic violence again. It might be something else. It might be something else I experienced, a loss, um, whatever, a failure in my business, you know, but what, so what? have I identified or what do we identify to keep us from going back to a place that we don't want to go to? And so for me, I know that I enjoy time. I, I enjoy solitude. <laughs> and it's funny because all of my friends are like, you're so extroverted and you love people. And I do, but I also recognize that there is there are times when I just need to recharge and spend time just in quietness, you know, reading a book or however I choose to spend that time. So I enjoy that. I also value and make time for the people in my life that where we talked about that pour into you and that are my um, spiritual and business mentors. Like I prioritize that time. So by prioritize, like it's a calendar event for me to make sure that once a week I'm checking in and, you know, preserving and nurturing those relationships as well. Also, I enjoy um, doing kid things. I have three boys and I'm very much a um, 
girly girl, I guess it would be the easiest way to say it. So hanging with them and like doing, talking about football and things that I have no, very little idea about, you know, they're all boy. And so there, there are a lot of things that they talk to me about that I have no clue, but that's fun for me as well, because it's like, I'm actually learning a lot from these, from these kiddos about, um, things that have never been of an interest to me prior to being a mom. And so just finding joy in those, those things, the solitude, I still love to journal. Um, journaling is important for me because it's a release um, from, you know, to be able to write out my thoughts. And then as far as checking in with my goals, I'm, I'm an organized person and I think I have to be with, as we talked about all the things that I try to juggle, I'm very organized. So I check in with my goals weekly. You know, I, um, we're in October now. So I recently just looked at like, okay, this is the last quarter. What did I say I wanted to be working on or have accomplished by the end of the year? Where am I? And I had a wake up call this weekend. I was like, oh, something that I wrote down in January, I haven't done yet. You know, like <laughs> it's October, it's now or never. So I'm constantly, you know, writing those things down, checking to see where I am. I love accountability partners. I have accountability partners that, you know, where we hold each other accountable. And it's funny because sometimes things as we all do when we're, <laughs> when we try to doubt ourselves a little bit, I'm, I'm like, I can't even say it out loud because if I tell this person, like I'm going to have to do it, <laughs> I will have to do it. So I think even having, find someone that is a mentor or an accountability partner that will keep you on track and keep you committed to the things that you said you're going to do, because we all owe that to ourselves. Life is a cliche, but life is short. And I want to make sure we should all make sure that we're giving it our all every day and not take that for granted. That's all right. Thank you, Tiffany, for coming on the show. Thank you. I enjoy it. Um, I love talking about legally and just helping our community to understand more, like you said, about how we protect ourselves and and also being being. Um, I guess, transparent enough with people to where they feel comfortable. Because sometimes, I don't know why, but I do feel that people are a little hesitant sometimes to reach out to attorneys or they feel they should only reach out when they're in trouble or, you know, something has gone wrong. And that's the total opposite. And I try to always dispel that um, you should have an attorney as on speed dial to be able to talk to them about anything, you know, to protect you early on. That's all right. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. I need you to subscribe, and I need you to share with your network. And though I am on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So please subscribe, listen to it, and give me some reviews because I'm trying to be heard, and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show <laughs> And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Tiffany Hill Esquire, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying thank you. Thank you for your platform. Thank you for what you're doing to continue to share um, knowledge to all of us. So thank you. You're welcome. And I'd like to thank you again, people, for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU. Peace.